Amen. And God's greatest blessings to uh, the church, to the fellowship of the saints, and for the great ministries that he provides us with throughout the world today. We thank him for the privilege of being here and sharing life in the kingdom with you as we continue to bless God's great and lasting work. We appreciate the song service and certainly the presence of all of you and uh, you who are visiting with us today. We are especially thankful to have you and we trust that you will come and be with us again. It's an honor and privilege to have uh, Brother Adams, a long-time warrior, uh, and his son, a medical doctor and lawyer and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, glad to have him with us today and others who are visiting with us today. It's a pleasure that you're here and the blessings that God continues to bring to his church. We appreciate again the presence of uh, Brother Adams who came and made a strong, not Adams, but Brother Banks who made a strong statement to the church some Sundays ago while he's learning about the church through the uh, uh, drug program that we have across the street and being thankful for what this church has done and is doing. And we're grateful to have him with us today. And matter of fact, he's been with us every Sunday consistently since that time. And those of you who are stepping it up and getting involved in the church, we just really appreciate that. New programs being born and uh, new uh, leadership uh, to those programs being enhanced. And the ones that already there are holding fast as the church continues to press forward to greater ends. It's my pleasure to speak to you today about the critical decisions that we are faced with making as people of God. And I, I'm pleasured to, to have the opportunity to stand for God in this moment and challenge us along these lines. It's a unique opportunity to speak to you because you are a unique group who braved the weather and uh, whatever the case may be, uh, to be here today, give me a kind of opportunity to uh, send some what we used to call esoteric messages uh, to the elite of the church <laughs> and uh, deal with some ideas, uh, which I think are relatively profound ideas we need to look at as to why we are stagnant, why we don't grow, uh, why we don't change, how that uh, what God is trying to do through us does not take place. And uh, yet we go on from day to day and year to year and month to month mouthing those concepts that would identify us with God, but that nothing fundamentally changes. And if you look back over us for the 25 or 30 years and ask how much we've changed, you'd be hard pressed to find some things that's really changed comparable to the gospel that we preach. And we're not the first generation who mouthed those ecclesiastical concepts and did nothing. Jesus would bother with folk in his day who did the same. And that's the reason why he said, seek first the kingdom of heaven. And all of his righteousness and these other things will be added unto you. So what we want to look at today is in brevity, as much as I can, I get carried away with these ideas is that how ready are we to put the kingdom first? And are we, and the longer I study this, 
you people who are into these kind of mind-boggling situations, psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, disciplinarians, and sociologists into this kind of thing, I'm gradually becoming convinced that it's beyond our reach to do it. Now, I know you don't welcome that. Uh, predestination is a concept we have to deal with. And if something has a hold of us that we don't change when we know better. And I'm taking my time with this because it's treading upon difficult territory. And we don't like to think this way. None of us like the idea that we may be lost. And nothing can be done about it. And I don't call this to our attention because I welcome it. But when you look at why we ought to go and why we are and what we are doing to get there is something inhibiting our movement. There's a reason. Why do people on drugs stay on drugs? And we'll tell you it's against their better life. Uh, there is some spiritual hang and caught catch that we're wrapped up in that will not allow us to change even though we know better. So I want to try to speak to those concepts today biblically. And as I like to always do when I'm doing this kind of thing, I like to say to you, don't worry about agreeing or disagreeing. And if you want to go and say you ain't heard nothing, be comfortable with that. I, I, I just want to lay it out there. And you have no obligation to agree with the preacher or to disagree, but that's some information you need, you need to consider. And my purpose today is to challenge the hearer, to challenge the hearer to ready himself or herself to make critical, lifelong and life-determining decisions. And that's very important because if you don't decide to complete the first grade, you can't go to the sixth. And that's true of our, our spiritual life as well as anywhere else. Uh, if we do not accept our responsibility at this stage, we're not ready for the next one. And I'm convinced that as much gospel as we have and know and understand is something wrong somewhere, that there's a power that has captured us that is beyond our control. Now, I can see you looking sad. I don't like that either. But the fact is, we ought to be here and we back there. Uh, I ought to have progressed, I ought to finish college, and I'm still in the first grade. So that's the kind of thinking I want you to try to deal with, and that keeps you from fighting me and saying, no, that ain't true what he said. You don't have to bother with that. Deal with the outer limits dynamics of the situation, that things are a way that ought not to be, that we have not changed, and we're just as evil as we were 10 years ago. We have not progressed beyond our present stage of righteousness over 15 or 20 years. We essentially the same. Uh, the things we were fighting before we came into the church, we're still fighting them. 
And if I understand Christ's entrance into our life, it moves us beyond that. So I want to try to challenge you to think about this situation because if you never think about it, you never change. I was a substance abuse officer for the military unit which I was in. And one of the things that they always pounded away in every psychologist, sociologist, and uh, addiction person tells me that, tell me that you cannot do anything with the mind of a drug addict, et cetera, until he wants to change. Until he enters his life or her life to change. That's the beginning of the process. So I think that what we've got to try to do is what we call, I'm trying this morning to do what we call intervention. I waited on you for 30 years to change. <laughs> you know, and you're still the same, so I want to intervene. Uh, and and, and, and uh, they tell me that's what you need with some people who are caught in drugs and man's uh, uh, is, is, is a wife beater or he's, a, uh, uh, he, he's, he's caught up in drugs or he's, he's an alcoholic and you talk to him, you preach to him, he doesn't change. And sometimes you have to go out and get some other forces and bring in there, go through the wife, go through other people he knows, and intervene into his life and make him face things. That's the concept that we have to do sometimes. So what I want to do is kind of challenge you along those lines. First, I want to say to you, and you know this about me now by now, as much as I've been preaching it, it is by divine choice, I believe, that we have been brought as the Simpson Street Church of Christ to a critical point of processing the direction and the victorious movement of this church according to divine destiny. Now, I don't have a problem believing that. Some of us, in my, with my background, you have a problem with that. I wouldn't talk that way in church Christ. And sometimes, if you can just hold still, that's our trouble. We were put in the wrong position at an early stage. And we did not think we had to think about this kind of stuff. We just kind of overall concept, if you get baptized, you're saved, and then you get the other folk get baptized, and we all go to heaven together. Now, thank you, brother. I, I want you to know it's a little more profound than that. Because Jesus, when he baptized his disciples, he didn't stop teaching them. Uh, he left that behind. Been married 53 years, and I don't think one time my wife and I have discussed the matrimonial ceremony. Because it has no import or impact on our marriage now. That's done. And we operate on that presumption. I don't wake up in the morning and say to her, now look, baby, you know we married. <laughs> Anything she does, I don't like. I say it to her on the basis of her understanding. She's my wife. I don't have to remind her of that. You don't need to be constantly reminding Christians that they've been baptized and obligated what happened at the pool of baptistry. And I think if we kind of stay in a reminding stage, 
And we like it when the preacher and the teacher reminds us of those things, especially the ones we've already done. So I'm trying to get you to understand that God has us here for a purpose. And you can't do that if you don't believe in a purpose, if you don't understand the purpose, and you don't commit to it. And I'm still concerned about the, what, what, what causes that to happen. Why do we get stagnant? Why is it we can't be moved? Why is it we can't change? The decisions are our responsibilities. And uh, I want you to know that our claiming, and I'm aware that some of you don't buy into all at all the stuff I'm talking about, about us being under, the, under divine destiny. And there's a uniqueness to our existence, and there's a God-calledness involved in that. I know y'all don't believe that. I know some of you don't believe that, because you were kind of raised in a background that taught against thinking that way. And you can't break out, because it changes your whole lifestyle. So the fact that you don't buy that does not disturb me but it does encourage me to keep on teaching it. That there's a uniqueness. Now, do you think when Jesus in Matthew 16 18 said, I'm going to build my church, do you think all the community believed that? They didn't believe him. He had a purpose, but they didn't buy that. They didn't even buy he was the son of God. And some later theologian says that Jesus may not have been the Son of God, or some say he was not. And the Jewish community, basically, especially Orthodox Judaism, defy the concept that he is the Son of God. He was a prophet, and that's all that he was. So the fact that you don't believe that God is at work at Simpson Street doesn't have anything to do with whether or not God is at work. The fact that you don't buy in on what I'm preaching you, if I'm right, I'm still right even though you don't buy it. And that's what the danger is. We've got to make decisions about this preaching Harrison is doing here. We've got to make decisions about the predicaments that we're in, the opportunities we have, this great building, all of these outlying possibilities that we're not maturing. We're going to answer to God for it. And a lot goes back to the fact, I appreciate you hearing, goes back to the fact that we have not put the kingdom first. And my reading of the scriptures, the kingdom takes priority and triumphs over everything. Now that's hard to handle, even for this preacher. When I get ready to buy a car, I got to think about what Jesus wants first. And if it's a choice, the kingdom wins. Hear me, folk. We are not equipped to make those kind of decisions. We think we have a right that we got forty or fifty thousand dollars, or sixty or seventy, whatever it is, and there's a 
$50,000 car or $200,000 home. We want that. The kingdom can be going down the tube. We forget the kingdom exists and buy the home. Now, my understanding is that that's not the way of Christ. That's the reason why I ask you to sit back and listen and don't try to decide with, me, with or against me. Just take this information that Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does first mean except first? Hogan's, I ain't putting the kingdom first in my life. That's what I got to realize. I don't like putting the kingdom first in my life. Because, man, I may end up with nothing. And it's because we feel that the godness by which we live is the godness we perceive that we control. And we tell God what we're going to do. And then subscript it with his name. That's the way we think. We talk church. We talk kingdom. We live humanity. Now, the reason why I'm pressing this is because I think this is where we are right here at Simpson Street right now. What God keeps telling me every night Keep waking me up all through the morning, won't let me sleep. He's put me here to tell you this stuff that you can use to get out of the hole you're in. Obviously, the way we're doing it ain't happening. We're still in the same shape. That doesn't mean it's real bad or anything, but has the kingdom taken over? We, we talk about the kingdom of God. Some of us say the kingdom and the church is the same thing. The kingdom is a much more expansive concept. Enveloping the church and all that. The kingdom, Daniel 2.44 says, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven raise up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Same kingdom we're talking about now. And what is a kingdom? It is the intervention of divine will. It's the breaking in of God's will and my subjecting myself to what God wants. That's when the kingdom has come. When I become a citizen of the rule of God. If I'm still ruling, I'm king. If God's ruling, he's king. And God ain't ruling unless I'm doing what God says as one of his citizens. Now, I know this is tough stuff. And it makes you uncomfortable. And you can sit there with a calculator, sit there without a calculator and see how much off track you are. That happened to me every time I sit down and read that grand old book and try to deal with it. I don't need nobody giving me any calculator to count up my sins and count up my shortcomings. It's clear to me, seeking out of the book of the Lord and read. But these decisions, what I want to press, are responsibilities of ours. Whether or not we are equipped, that's the hard thing about it, 
Whether or not we are equipped to make these decisions or ready or prepared to make them, they are still our decisions. My wife and I, in years past, as some of you have, begot sons and daughters. After a nine-month period of gestation and so forth, we had a child on our hands for whom we were obligated to make decisions whether or not we were ready. You got to understand that. As citizens of the kingdom, we got responsibilities in the kingdom even if we have ill-prepared ourselves for this day. Because it does not change the fact of decision. This matter is further complicated by the fact that inheriting the challenge that this church now faces as its future, the ability to make these decisions, these eternal decisions, and that frightens me. To make eternal decisions may very well rest upon decisions that we ought to have made and didn't make. That's tough. I should have decided to do this. That's the reason I'm accountable for all of my actions. And I should have taken that $50,000 I had and invested it. But I bought me a high-class motorcycle. Because that's one of the things I wanted all my life was a motorcycle. And now here comes a day when that 50000 is needed in my life. I ain't got it. You still got the responsibility. You can't slough it off. Oh, I, 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 I needed that fun. I, I deserve that. So we are called upon to make decisions that we ain't ready to make and can't get ready because it's too late. And that hurts. Man, if I could go back over and raise my children again, man, how much better would they be? Not simply them, but how greater a parent I would be. But I can't do it. And it keeps us hobbling. So the more and more we unprepare ourselves, the greater the volume of mistakes. The longer we sit and let God keep knocking on the doors of our hearts. And our big problem is not necessarily our resources, but our life. The New Testament talked about a people somewhere of whom all of you know. They were more noble than those of Thessalonica in that they first gave themselves. They studied the word really and, uh, uh, and as to whether those things were so. And in that group that studied the word really and that group who Paul spoke about who first gave themselves. We have trouble with that. We have trouble giving ourselves to our families. We never, we never release, we never uh, 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 release the deeds on our lives. 
the decision and the assumption of, of adult responsibilities, even though our earlier years have not prepared us, uh, rest steadily upon us. Now, not only do we see this in life, in our, in our life, church, we see it in life. One of the greater decisions, I, 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 I ride track on it every day, quite an interesting decision, is on, in the airlines now. They've got to make a decision as to whether they're going to let people keep sneaking on these planes with explosives or use the security machine that shows us though naked. Now, that's been before the Congress and the House before, and they killed that bill because it is an invasion of privacy. So what we've got to do, hard decision, I feel you feeling it, hard decision is decide whether or not we're going to go into those, that equipment, and they show everything we possess of whether we're going to have privacy. Now, they're working on it. They're trying to, but that's the problem. You want to keep people keep coming on the plane like the digital boy from Nigeria the other day with the explosive buried in his underwear in his private area? Whatever area you keep off limits, that's where they go. Hard decisions. Somebody got to decide. My wife and I was listening to television the other day and they were discussing and asked some woman, some, some, some woman about it and she yelled back, oh, so I've been going to doctors all my life, said, ain't no problem. <laughs> now some people, some people don't handle it with that kind of facility. But, 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 but it, it, it is an issue. Our claiming that Simpson Street Church of Christ is an agent of redemption of God and his church probably makes no more sense or as little sense as Jesus standing in Matthew 16 18 talking about he's going to build his church to his crowd. Now, not when we have glorified that. Don't look out of that venue as it was then. And it certainly didn't make a lot of sense, and we've got to understand it, it didn't make a lot of sense for 12 men to challenge the whole, change the whole world. Those guys got to be sick. Jesus picked up 12 fishermen and, and, and tax collectors and, and, and this kind of people and said he's going to take those and change the world. That doesn't make sense. But those guys were crazy enough to believe it. Because it was true whether they believed it or not. God's able to do that. See, the ultimate kind of works out of our inability to believe in the powers of God. God is at work in every age and every period. And it's just like you're sitting here today is how they sat in the church at Corinth and at Ephesus, debated big problems. And Paul said to, uh, to those to whom he was writing in 1 Corinthians, 
Say, I, I, I'm coming by to see you, but I got a delay because a great door of faith has been opened to me. In Corinth, 16th chapter, the last chapter in that book, he says, and, and, and I've got to take advantage of that opportunity, but many adversaries are standing there. Those people didn't have any more sense than to believe. But also their background of relating to God had helped prepare them to be able to believe. So what I'm saying to you good folk, you know, if, if you see the areas of your life that are weak, you need to buttress them up. And one of our problems at Simpson Street is a lack of biblical knowledge. Now, I don't mean you ain't never read the Bible. I mean, but you don't catch the gist of the whole thing. See, you need to... I'm, I'm one of those kind, like some of you are. I don't like to read books two and three times. But yet good people tell me who do this kind of thing, so you need to read the book at least three times to get it. I don't like to read it three times. And I have to make myself do it. But I created for myself a, a different method. I read them slow and easy. <laughs> and when I get through with a book, you don't know whether it's a book or ink. Because I've underlined, I've noted in the margin line, et cetera, and so forth. Well, I can go back and find stuff if I want it, et cetera. Uh, so you need to work yourself out some kind of way. We need to work ourselves out some kind of way how we can get this information that would equip us. And it's kind of like putting food and chemicals in the body. I bronchitis, as I've had a case of bronchitis from time to time. Uh, and the fact that it has attacked my body means that the body is not sufficiently resilient in and of itself to handle it. If it were, I wouldn't have caught it in the first place. Now, some of you medical people may not agree with that because I might not know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but anyway, I end up going to the doctor and one consistently put me on antibiotics. Now, what is an antibiotic? It fights other bodies attacking the body. We really call it antibodies. Uh, so they put the, give me a dose of these antibiotics and tell me to take them so long. And, when I, and, and, and that gives, when, when, when that antibiotic goes to work on those uh, bodies attacking my body, it gives my body a chance to cure. He's, he's sitting there and, and can't be attacked by these antibodies. And it gets well, and when, once that happens, then I can get back out there without the antibodies can go on because my body's been brought back up to par. Now, some people are smart as I am, and some smarter than I am. They start taking those antibiotics and get to feeling pretty good, and the doctor give you one with uh, so many capsules to last so many long. We get to feeling better, we say, well, we, we quit the antibodies. And the last time I went to the doc, he said, look, you take every one of these things until you're all gone. Because I, thank you, Brother Gibson. He, he, because what I have decided, I analyzed your situation, and I've decided that you need so many doses of antibodies to let your body get well. And you can't go on how you feel. <laughs> uh, 
You got to do what I tell you to do. That's what he's saying. So last time I had, I took up all the antibodies and get over the hump. That's what we are. It's what we got to do. Now let me say something to you that's challenging. I'm far past, far past the time I intended to be talking, but I'll call a couple of passages to your attention. Few of us, and hear me close and well, listen. Few of us born and raised in our fellowship are prepared to make life decisions, life-determining decisions where theology, religion, and faith is concerned, especially life, because our teaching has not prepared us for that. And the reason I told you, I don't want to be offensive to nobody. I want to be truthful. And, 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 and some of you, my very good friends, are, are very tied up in this area. I'm a fundamentalist like most of, uh, people of our fellowship is. I'm a different fundamentalist than some of my brethren are, are, are fundamental. But that means I, be, I believe in the basics of Scripture. I believe in the basic teaching of God. I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. I believe Jesus Christ is in heaven, reigning on the right hand of God. I believe in baptism for remission of sin. But our problem is, to some extent, hear me well now, is how we have handled that information. Baptism is for the remission of sins. Now, now follow me closely. It is for the remission of sins. It doesn't do anything for you after you baptized. Now, that's one that hurts us a little bit. I'm aware of that. Because some of our preachers never preach anything except baptism. And every subject you start with, we end up at that point. That's the reason why I wanted to get your attention. You need to note Hebrews 6 and 1. And note 1 Corinthians 1, 13 and 14. Because we have not responded, we have responded to the call of baptism, but not to obedience to the kingdom. Now I'm aware that hurts. I'm looking at all of y'all to see which one you don't like it. Because I, because I think the greatest thing we can do is create a church where everybody is free to express what he or she believes. And, and, and you're good at it because I, I know I've, I've, I've said a number of things that you didn't, hadn't been exposed to I mean, just today throughout the years. And you take and you process it good. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to God for that. Because there are some churches I wouldn't even prepare to try to make this kind of statement because they'd miss it from the get-go. And that's not, a, that's not against them, but it's just an extension of this thing of what we're prepared to do. Neither do we understand God's scheme of redemption. It's, for us, many of us, it's all caught up in baptism. What's caught up in baptism is forgiveness of our past sins. And you can't take that and cross the river. And I'm not being ridiculing. I'm not discrediting. But I do want you to put in that bag over there, which you take it home and think about it. 
Maximizing the effects of baptism, what do you get? Forgiveness of my sins. Even if I sin after baptism, that baptism won't help that. Eighth chapter book of Acts, Simon the Sorcerer proves that beyond the remotest of doubt. So one of the things we've got to do is take ourselves by the heels and pull ourselves with an interest in Scripture and God beyond getting baptized. Now, we who are here today aren't the first one to have a problem with that. You know, I told you some time ago I was going to start preaching and try and take Scripture down and lay it down beside our lives and see what we're doing. So I want to, want to do that. Why else do you think if the people were not abusing the understanding of baptism, why do you think Paul said to them in 1 Corinthians 1, 13, 14, I thank God I didn't baptize none of y'all. Why would he say that? Because they were using who baptized me as a means of establishing parties in the church. And this group and that group, Paul, Silas. Cephas, James, one went so far as saying, I'm of Christ. So they abused baptism. You may want to ask today, well, was that baptism valid? Since they weren't baptized with the right understanding, seemingly. As we've preached for years all of my life, if you don't be, if you're not taught right, you can't be baptized right. I'm watching. I got you watching my back, too. <laughs> I've been taught that. I don't have no problem with that. Like, uh, we're discussing that. And I think when we can lay the ground open, man, we can pick ourselves up by the powers of God and do some great stuff. But you got to have a hold of the master at the right point. You got to let him make you roll in your, in your sleep and, 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 and disturb your pillow like he does me. And like he did Paul. That's a great door of faith. Can you consider him not caring, not being concerned? He says to the people, been waiting on him to come by a long time. I can't get to y'all now. There's something that God has called me to that I got to take care of. And even as I commit myself to taking care of what God wants me to at Corinth, there are many adversaries. Man, I don't welcome adversaries, but I think that's a beautiful passage. Powerful passage. I want to do what my wife wants done, what she deserves, what my children ought to have, what this church ought to have, but there's something blocking me. I'm being attacked while I'm trying to do right. That, that's the kind of type of situations you're in. It, all people who don't do right, not because they mean and evil, they ain't got the resources and the internal strengths. And they don't have the processes by which that can be handled, developed. And therefore, they go down in smoke every day. That's what our Bible classes ought to be about. That's what our study ought to be about. That's what our meditation at home ought to be about. So Paul said to them, he was so disgusted with them. Church at Corinth, first church at Corinth. He said, I thank God I didn't baptize none of you guys. 
Now, that's putting, the, that's putting the preacher way out. Can you imagine me at Simpson Street saying, and, and you guys just bragging about all the other preachers, and, 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 and I'm one of the groups you're bragging about. Can you imagine me saying, I thank God I didn't baptize y'all. <laughs> now, you're talking about internal disgust and utter frustration with the kingdom as, as it existed. That's it, man. But to me, it's what the Christian, hear me please, has to work through. I don't have any choice but to preach to you. Because God has called me to this, and sometimes I don't like it. Sometimes the voice says, you should have quit 10 years ago. But it's something internal going on. Hear me, hear me uh, 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 Johnson. Something going on that what I would do, I can't do. And if you don't feel the tentacles of God pulling on your life, you got some problems. And when you can know that the elder, the minister, or somebody is right, and you fighting them, man, you got problems. We don't understand church structure. As I said last Sunday, this is not a structure of the preacher Hairston, the elder Harris, uh, Bernard Hollingsworth, this is a divine plan. And the functions are those in which we fit into. We don't make them. They are divinely designed. And I'm going to tell you honestly, I've been into it all my life. I grew up in church and fighting. I don't think that you can get any worse than people fighting the preacher. Especially if that preacher is right in teaching and doing what God says to do, fighting the elder. I don't think you, I think that's about as low as you can get. It's about as close to God you're going to get. Fighting the proclaimer who's teaching you the truth. And fighting the elders who's watching out for your soul. How do you put those two together? Just like I said before. You ain't going to get me to fight my wife but so much as long as she's cooking in my house. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Now, let me turn to another passage. Uh, I'm, uh, maybe my people in the booth can pick it up for me. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. I want to close out with that one. Hebrews chapter 6 is a very important passage that points up the point that I'm making, Hebrews chapter 6. There, yeah, there you go. Thank you, brothers. Now, therefore, leaving the, Paul says, the right, Hebrew writer says, excuse me for saying, Paul, I think so much about Paul in Hebrews, I oftentimes slip up and say Paul wrote it. We, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, not laying again the foundation. 
of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and this will we do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and, and have tasted of God, God's, the good word of God, the powers of the world, if they fall away, uh, to renew them again to repentance is impossible. Seeing they have crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh. Now, what is, what is the writer saying? He says, get away from these basic things. Let's go on to perfection. So perfection for us exposes us to the greater ideas beyond the initiation into the church. And if we stay in the first grade all of our lives, we can't think beyond the first grade. Now God expects us to advance and to, and, 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 and to go further. The kingdom of God God says, seek that first. And to fail to do that is to fail to become a child of God. And the difficult decision that we have to make is to put God first. It's a very difficult decision. But the fact that it's difficult does not excuse us from the responsibility of making it. You are great folk. You are exposed to great opportunities. God's challenging you beyond measure. How he's going to do all these things that he wants to do or has done, I don't know. I'm his messenger. We are his messengers. And he calls upon us. And I hope that you can respond to that call and see God at work in your very life, challenging you to the cause of redemption. We're going to ask that our song leader lead us in the hymn of invitation, and we're going to stand together. Have there those of you who, to, who would want to respond to heaven's invitation of rededicating your life to Jesus Christ? Have there are those here who heard the, based upon having heard the word, believing it with all your heart, confessing Christ, and putting Him on in the water of great baptism? Rise there from walk with Him in a brand new life. The Bible says you are a new creation. Old things have passed away; all things have become new. Could you bless the church by standing at this time as Brother Bradshaw leads us in our hymn? It's so sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take him at his word Just to rest upon his promise Just to know the said the Lord Jesus, Jesus